Welcome to the Ty Odom Podcast. I'm your host, Ty Odom. I am a social worker who has always worked in the nonprofit sector. And along the way, I noticed that many people have the desire to help the community, but just didn't know how to get started. And that's where I come in. From volunteering to starting a nonprofit, this podcast will help you learn how to use your time, talent, and treasure to live out your dreams of helping others. Bi-weekly, I'll bring on a guest that I believe you will find helpful, inspiring, and whose journey can teach us about service. Rather, you're just getting started or you're an experienced leader. This inclusive philanthropy space will bring creative ideas, simple strategies, and resources to help you along your journey. Between our guest and my many years of experience, here we help you develop the confidence you need to tap into your inner philanthropist and unlock the immense power that we all have to serve. Thanks so much for tuning in and welcome to the podcast. Hey, everybody, it's your host, Ty Odom, and welcome back to the United Philanthropy Podcast. Here's where we unlock the magic of sharing your time, talent, and treasure. And today I have my really good friend Jody in studio with me. Uh, Jody is an author, a motivational, inspirational speaker. She's a former college coach and currently a mindset coach who will share with us today about how she has conquered so many things in her life still doing extremely well and helping other people do so in the process. So thank you so much to Jody for joining the podcast. Thanks, Ty. Super excited to be here. Yay. So I, you know, introduced you and said you were a former basketball coach, but currently coaching in many other areas of your life. So just tell us a little bit about that, because when they find you on socials, they'll see that your handle is Coach Jody. Yes, indeed. Um, and so tell us a little bit about how you started coaching and how that helped you transition into what you currently do in the coaching space. My journey to college coaching actually started at the University of Arkansas when I was an athletic trainer, and I was an athletic trainer for the men's basketball team, and Nolan Richardson was a head men's basketball coach at the time, and I quickly realized that I wanted to coach more than I wanted to be a trainer, just seeing his passion, his energy, and the love that he put into his basketball teams, and I said, I want to do that, <laughs> and so I stuck with the, the, the athletic training until I graduated and then became a GA at the University of Montevallo and then uh, spent 14 years coaching college basketball and transitioned out of it because I firmly believe that no matter what your job is, that if the majority of it starts to feel like work, you probably need to find something new to do. And that was happening in mm. in college coaching. And it was it was hard for me because I had and amazing uh, co-workers. We had great players, not only athletically and talented. However, they were also great people, too. So mm -hmm. that was a really hard um, decision for me to make. But I took that leap and decided to take that time out from college coaching and still work with club coaching in the summer times with AAU basketball mm -hmm. and that thing. But I ended up becoming a health coach. And mm -hmm. That uh, was something that I was passionate about just because I believe everybody should have the opportunity to make themselves healthier in whatever way that looks like for them. And 
it transitioned even again into Mm -hmm. becoming a performance mindset coach. And I definitely didn't ever see myself here where I am today. However, I always saw myself coaching because I can even remember um, conversations I had years ago with with friends asking, well, if you weren't coaching, what would you do? And I always said, I was like, well, I I'm always going to coach. And in my head at the time, I thought that meant basketball. Uh However, here we are. And I've done a little bit of different types of coaching. So I love it. Yeah, I think um, I probably before that didn't really put the correlation of coach in more than one uh, context because I just kept thinking, oh, she coaches basketball tonight. Oh, no, she's a mindset coach and she's like <laughs> coaching all these people. And once you guys follow Jody, so make sure you follow her on her Instagram handles, her Facebook, her Twitter. Um, she does these daily quotes. But in, when you see the daily quote, you will also see a handful of vitamins so that you are still reminding us like we got to take care of our minds, got to take care of our souls. And we've also got to take care of our bodies because we can't really have one be good without the other. Exactly. Um, so I love how that has transitioned for you, but that you still are so true to all those things at the same time, even though they look different in the moment. Is that, yeah. You're true to those things, even though they look different in the moment. So when you talk about um, feeling like you would have always been a coach, was there a part of you that said, I want to be a player? Or what was it that like, were you ever like the other person on the side of the court? Because I know for (laughs) me, I remember my first basketball coaches like it was yesterday. They were instrumental. They were the people who taught me like, okay, this is what you do. My free throws were garbage, right? (laughs) Like, I mean, I couldn't really understand how I was missing these free throws. And so I just remember in the process of coaching um, and one of the greatest compliments uh, that I've ever heard about myself is that I was coachable. And so there are times in my life where I'm like, okay, now, are you being coachable right now? Are you being a know-it-all? And so were you ever a player and then you got the coaching like before being at the U of A? Um, Or was it that you never played and you just had the not acknowledgement of the impact of being a coach. So I did play sports growing up um, and basketball was my thing. Absolutely love it. I was able to play my freshman year at Odessa College as a junior college in Texas. And I blew out my knee and face reality. <laughs> <laughs> so I my reality was I my heart was unmatched to anybody else. Mm-hmm. It was the problem. My athleticism was as as well. However, it wasn't matched in the good way. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So it just was not there. Um, Played my heart out all the time, but I just simply wasn't as athletic or talented as as other people. So um, I faced the reality then and just decided I wanted to become an athletic trainer at that time. Mm -hmm. And that's how I ended up getting to Arkansas. And part of uh, what we'll talk about in a little bit is, you know, I never had that athletic ability to be this big time athlete. And when I was in college, I surrounded myself with those big time athletes. Mm -hmm. And I was slightly jealous because my friends were national champions in the triple jump. They were heptathletes. They were future Olympians. There was um, NBA all-star players. And Mm -hmm. I was slightly jealous, not at them, but just to the fact that I never had that athletic ability to accomplish something like that. And in my eyes, that was just to be able to compete at that high level Mm -hmm. was 
it, it's phenomenal. It's it's amazing. There's not that many people that right. get to do it. And so I felt like another way that I could um, – that I would be able to do something special was – and to have that impact in in the athletic world was was to coach. Okay. So we talk about and we know mutual friends who are the one percent when it comes to athletes. And you're like, man, this person like is the best of the best. And and your best friend, oh my gosh, she's so awesome. I'm gonna go ahead and say her name. She's gonna be mad. Hey, Virginia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Gigi. Um, she's probably the one person that I met, and I just remember her in Backstory, I met Gigi in 2020. At this point, she's probably 20 years out of college or 10, maybe. I don't know. 20. Maybe 20. (laughs) Sorry, Gigi. Uh, So you guys are about, you know, a couple, you know. So I meet her and um, I have no idea that she is as awesome as she is as a person, that she was who she was athletically Mm -hmm. so long ago. And so it was just a reminder that, like, we're surrounded by people that, like, depending on the chapter of their life that you walk into, it's not like she's walking around saying like, I'm boom, 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 boom. And you're like, oh, wait, girl. Yeah, I'm usually the one that's like, oh, yeah. And she's done this, 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 and this, and this, 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 and this. And she's, yeah, I'll point her out on the wall and be taking the pictures of her in front of her picture. she's like, don't do that. I'm like, oh, girl, please. But now you guys have a really cool thing where you are probably the only person that she knows that has climbed Mount, and I'm going to say this right, y'all, Mount Kilimanjaro. Yes, did I ma'am. say it? You got yeah. it. You got it. So I, I did not want to mess that up for y'all. I promise. <laughs> um, <clears throat> excuse both of us. So that was one of your biggest feats mm-hmm. today, athletically, physically, mentally. Um, it took training. It mm-hmm. took endurance. It took a lot of things. So let's talk about how you went from, hey, I don't really have that athletic ability to be an all-star in the ring of honor to win national championships. But if I can train my mind, I can train my body. Mm-hmm. Or if, if I can train my body, I can train my mind, depending on which is your stronger thing in the space. So let's talk about how you have shifted from all those things to climb Mount Kilimanjaro <laughs> and then to use that as pretty much a big lesson for all of us. So when did you do it? So um, I climbed Kili in January of 2019. Okay. Um, I left Fayetteville. Arkansas on January 8th. And the funny thing is that, you know, you mentioned all the things that you need to have in order to um, prepare for this. And I think a little bit for me, it was a little bit of naivety and uh, lack of uh, research was good in my favor and not knowing all of the details because come to find out, they ask you to train (coughs) six to nine months to get prepared for Kilimanjaro. And I signed up to climb Killy on August 28th of 2018. So August, September, October. <laughs> no, it was four months. December. Four okay, months. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Four months I decided to do this. But I it's it goes back to everything else. I wanted something to be able to do physically demanding that my friends hadn't done. And mm-hmm. this at the time of climbing Killy, I had already had uh, four knee surgeries, a back surgery, and a shoulder surgery. And so it was one of those things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is unfolding because now I'm like, who signed off on you to do this medically? Yeah. I, and I don't recommend um, – I, I am somebody who works out every day. I'm not like an extreme hiker or anything like that. Um 
and don't necessarily recommend that for everybody. However, I felt like, you know, I, I had enough pride in myself feeling like I could do that. That's right. Believing yourself. <laughs> and, you know, I... I was 40 at the time when I did it, and I told people, it's like, oh, this is not some, like, midlife crisis thing or anything <laughs> like that. I just wanted, like, this just happens to be the time I can afford to do it. Mm-hmm. And because at the time when I first saw it in 2006, I was a junior college assistant coach, and I was making $18,000 a year. So there's okay. no way I was going to be able to pay for it then. Okay. But um, I just decided that this was something I wanted to be able to prove to myself that I could do. And... I knew climbing the mountain, I was going to learn a thing or 10 about myself. So I wasn't naive to think that, oh, this isn't going to change me. I just had no idea how much it was going to change me and Mm -hmm. the things that it would lead to um, being a motivational speaker, writing a book and and becoming a, a mindset coach, because I had to shift my mindset in the matter of a few days in order to get myself up that mountain. Mm-hmm. And it was something that I didn't realize at the time exactly what was happening. And it was one of those after the fact looking back on everything. And I'll still, we're what, three years removed, three, almost four years removed from it. And I still learn different things about that journey, about myself and how I can help teach other people and just related to everyday life. And I think because I I really am, I'm I'm a regular, ordinary, everyday type of person. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, I don't, the highest I'd ever been before was 10,000 feet and I drove that, you know, <laughs> I'd never hiked longer than seven miles before. And mm-hmm. and then I go and do this. So it's something that I, I think my superpower is, is just being ordinary and like everybody else, mm-hmm. being able to teach them these lessons that I learned on the mountain and how they can apply it to regular everyday life. That's really cool because I think sometimes it's how we view ourselves because you just said over and over again, like you're regular, you're ordinary, you're all of these things. And sometimes in the space of that is like, hey, I am just like you. I have done this, but I'm going to push myself Mm -hmm. to do this. And people always say that, um, you know, like your greatest experiences are outside of your comfort zone. And so all I like heard and kept hearing was like, I'm regular, y'all. And I keep thinking about um, when people say like the only thing that makes the extraordinary extraordinary is that they don't stop, is that they keep going. So it's like, hey, this time I'm going to push myself to climb the mountain. What if I push myself to like really train and try another mountain? What if Mm -hmm. I push myself? And so I think it's a matter of How often do we push ourselves? How often do we sit down and say, what is it that I truly believe I can do? And what is it that I truly want to prove to myself that I can do? Because there's going to be a moment where you're going to want to quit. Mm -hmm. There were a couple of moments like that on the mountain. (laughs) Like, hey, I don't think I want to do this anymore. (laughs) Um, But hey, I also want to prove this thing to myself. Because if I can just do it one time, I know that I can do it again. Mm -hmm. Um. And so even when you talk about teaching people that I know that you are involved in a lot of organizations that have um, very unique populations of people. And so getting people out of their own way, right, like Mm -hmm. getting people out of the way to see themselves differently, getting people out of the way to see that um, circumstances and hurdles and situations, they're happening to all of us. They just all look different sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a matter of how high of a jump are you going to be? 
Are you going to be a jumper who like completely clears the hurdle? Mm-hmm. Are you going to be a jumper that who's like back leg drags it, but you get over it, right? You just got to decide what it is that you want to be. So one time, I think you, I can't remember what you put on Instagram. I wish I could find it. It's probably from like 2020. Um, but you were talking about how you do this jump. And like a lot, your logo was this jump at one time. It's like mm-hmm. you it still and is. Yep. it may yep. still be my jumping um, picture. Your jumping <laughs> picture, and so even that is like, I think you tell me. Did you tell me you tore your Achilles on a jump? No, Where I tore I tore my uh, MCL when we were we did an Alaskan cruise with my family. I think it was in 2016, and. <laughs> I decided to jump. There was a huge rock right in front of the uh, where the cruise ship was docked. And I was like, oh, this will be a great picture. Right as my brother was taking it, he said, you better be careful. And I was like, oh, I'll be all right. And then I jump off the rock and land awkward. I'm like, I think I just tore my MCL. <laughs> Luckily, the MCL heals itself and everything. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I had somebody recently. I was in Dominican Republic a couple weeks ago and had taken another jumping picture and um, told somebody else that story in Alaska mm-hmm. or whatever. And he said, well, I think you should retire the jumping picture. Excuse me, sir. No. Like, as long as I can get up of, off the ground, I'm going to continue to take these jumping pictures because I'm not going to let your limitations mm-hmm. be my limitations. So that's, I'm going to keep jumping. That's so key because that's a limitation placed on you by somebody. Mm-hmm. When we talked about climbing, did you call it? Killy. 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 I don't know if I've earned the right to call it that. You know, like that's when you're on a Kilima- first yeah. name Kilimanjaro basis, is a, you know? Kilimanjaro is is a mouthful, so Killy. Yeah, so that's two different things. One was something you could have imposed on yourself. I can't do the mountain or it's hard or whatever you self-talk. And the other was what someone else had placed on you. And both times you've decided, like, I'm going to be right in both situations, right? I'm going to be right, believing I can. I'm going to be right, continuing to jump, even though something bad has happened or something unfortunate or however you want to say happened with one of 60 jumps, 100 jumps. Exactly. And I think that's also the same as whenever you have somebody that, you know, we can get 100 good reviews mm-hmm. and we get that one bad review that's the only one that we focus on mm-hmm. it's like, and it, it like I think it's important to know like if there is an issue or whatever there's some people that are just being mean to because they have nothing better to do however if you focus on the one bad you're negating the other hundred that were good and and showed what you can really do and on the mountain on the summit night it was the fifth hour. I had already had so many different kinds of emotions going through me that night. And in the fifth hour, I really thought, like, I don't understand why I'm doing this. Why am I here? I just need to go ahead and go back down. And I thought about one about coming back to Fayetteville and telling one specific person who I don't even like. I don't <laughs> like this person at all. That I didn't make it up the mountain and I could just see him saying, well, I knew you couldn't do it. I knew I don't understand why you even tried. Just like being the whole negative Nancy person. And at that moment, I'm like, why do I care what this person thinks? Like, I'm not doing that for him. I'm not doing it for anybody else. Said, screw everybody else. I'm doing this for me. And whenever I had that shift in my mindset, everything got so much easier and it didn't get easy. It was still hard as hell, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, it got easier just because my of my mindset. Mm-hmm. And there's a saying, 
call that we, we used it in sports a lot, and it's mental is to physical as four is to one. So mental is to physical as four is to one. So four is greater than one, right? Okay, yeah. So your mental is greater than the physical, and it's going to be harder than the physical sometimes. So if you can overcome that mental, physically, you're going to be able to push through things. Because I never thought my body and my mind could push through some of the stuff that I had to push through on that mountain. And and I've been in all kinds of two-a-days and having to, you know, doing conditioning and doing um, CrossFit workouts and all the, right. all the things. And I was never pushed as much as I was when I was on that mountain. I had no idea that I was going to be able to do that. Okay. So you go up the mountain, come down the mountain. Mm-hmm. Came down fast. <laughs> Less than 24 hours. <laughs> Less than 24 hours. Okay. So you come down the mountain and you're like, I did it. Mm-hmm. There's this moment of... Complete happiness, pure joy, mm-hmm. complete self. Like, what's the feeling of, like, your back on, feet on the ground? What was your feeling when you got there? When I got back down? When you got back down. When I got back down, um, excitement, because that meant I got a shower. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you know, climbing the mountain, it, it takes a couple days for those yes, of us. It's, it took, I took the Lamosho route, and so that was, this. it was Friday to Friday. We summited Thursday morning, and we were out of there by Friday afternoon. So um, no showers on the mountain, lots of wipes, um, but it wasn't as... You're not as sweaty as you would think you might be, which is, mm-hmm. I mean, you're also really high up in the air, so it gets kind of chilly up there. Right. However, um, the first thing was just like relief in a way that I was able, that I could show myself that I could do something really, really hard mm-hmm. and do something that not a lot of people had done. And even people who were athletic and talented because a couple uh, March of that year, I got flooded with posts from a football player who had retired from the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. Mm-hmm. Had a sign up there, everything, and he said, <clears throat> "You know, I made it, and I'm retiring." And of course, I go to Instagram real fast and go tell him, "Hey, congratulations! That's amazing. I just summited in January." And he messaged me back, commented back real fast. He was like, "Congratulations! That's by far the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life, right. mentally and physically." And I said, mm, "Let me look this guy up." <laughs> and he turns out to be a three-time Pro Bowler, Halori uh, <laughs> Nagata. He played for the Eagles and the Ravens. Uh, yeah, the Eagles and the Ravens, I believe. And uh, was inducted, is now inducted into the Ring of Honor in, oh, in wow. Baltimore. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things where it's like, wow, like I... I, I did that I, I too. Did too. Like, yeah, like I'm in that same category. That, yeah, we both have Mount Kelly. We did. <laughs> we but did. I think um, when I first immediately got off, it's just like the relief and knowing that I could push myself and I could accomplish something I didn't finish first, but it didn't mm-hmm. matter because I still won because I got there. Yeah, you won. You you beat yourself. One hundred percent. One of my favorite gym songs lately, I feel like, is "Me Versus Me." <laughs> I won't put that in the box for anybody, but if you find it on your own, feel free to listen to "Me Versus Me." Um, but I will say this: when I think about like what that's like, as I push myself 
into different spaces as I push myself um, physically, mentally, like in this season of life, I still find like I want other people to be encouraged in this time, too. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we think we have to already have been up the mountain and back down right before we can find ourselves in the position to say, like, you can do this, too. Right. Um, And what would you say to someone who is thinking of putting themselves in the position where they're like, I really want to climb the mountain. And we're talking about a, a physical mountain, a literal mountain, an emotional mountain that you're like, I've got to get up this mountain. And getting up is like a high, but realizing that once you get down, you get a whole nother high of accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would you say to someone in that position who's like, I want to do something. I don't really know what it is right now, or I know what it is and I'm afraid of it right now. I would say um, take the leap and go stop sign to stop sign. So when I was training for Kilimanjaro, there's a street back here on the other side of the football stadium called Cleveland Hill. Mm -hmm. And it is incredibly steep. Even the most powerful of cars have trouble trouble getting up with that hill. And me and a friend of mine, um, Katrina, we know her as Stick, and uh, she would go walk that with me every day. And uh, Stick is 6'4". Mm-hmm. I am five nine, so her legs and strides are a lot longer <laughs> than mine. And we will walk the hill just going from the bottom to the top every day, um, three times a week. And we would do four or five trips. And one day we were on the first one and I was struggling and kept thinking about how am I going to get to this fifth one? How am I going to get to the end? I can't even make it up this first time. And she's, of course, like half a block ahead of me and turns around. She's like, what's wrong? And I was like, I'm struggling. I can't even get up the first one. She's like, just go stop sign to stop sign. Mm. I was like, oh, okay. So I was just worried about going stop sign to stop sign. Worry about what what you have next. I knew I had the five. I had to get to the five, right? Mm -hmm. So that's our goal is the five. But if I looked at all five at once, it was overwhelming and it it made me focus on the future and not right now. Mm. And in order, I believe that in order to accomplish goals, yes, we have to have that end goal in mind, but sometimes it can be really overwhelming and we need to kind of break it down. And so go stop sign to stop sign. That's what I did on the Summit Mountain too when I was struggling. I was like, all right, I picked out a different rock every so often. It's like, all right, that's my next stop sign. I'm just going stop mm-hmm. sign to stop sign. And I think if we we do that with life and trying to take it a little bit, take the little chunks, then we're going to ultimately get to where we want to go. Um, but yeah, just taking, take that leap. Take the go leap. Go for it. Go for it. Right, you never child. know where you're going to land. You don't know where you're going to land, but at least you can say you went for it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a space where you just... Try it. Um, And I think the other thing that I realized when I met you is when I tried to think about all the organizations that you were involved with, Mm -hmm. I felt like they were from a space of I want to do more than write a check and I want these people to have like an experience and for me to be able to pour into different families and for me to be able to like even women because I think the first thing you invited me to was – it was a, a ball. I think it might have been for the domestic violence. For, uh, with Junior League. Junior League. Yeah. Um, and so Junior League, for those of you who don't know, um, I won't describe it. I'll let her describe it. Because I was going to say, thanks to Rorty, if you are. <laughs> In um, a way, like, I, I mean, that is, that's a good way to, to describe it. Because it's, it's an organization of women. <clears throat> and it has a philanthropic um, mm-hmm. 
goal behind it. And each junior league is different in different cities as far as what what um, their focus is. Like thank you. Annual. I was like, what is, yeah. what am I trying to describe? Ours is domestic violence, and mm-hmm. um, we really help out the partners in in the agencies in Northwest Arkansas with their needs, whether it be monetary or supplies or, or whatever. And obviously we have different fundraisers throughout the year to help with that. But I got involved with Junior League in 2020 uh, over COVID. And before that, I had been involved in um, a couple of different organizations. And I really feel like everybody can give Mm -hmm. because it doesn't have to be money so growing up we didn't have a lot of money at all but my parents always found a way to give back to others who didn't even have as much as we did or to just give to the community in any kind of way and so i always saw that and it if they could give money they would and if they couldn't give their money they gave their time and they gave their energy their Mm -hmm. work and so just growing up with that, I've always felt that it's important to give back. And if, if you can, you give what you can. Right. If you feel like you want to give money and all you can give is $5, that, that $5 is going to make a difference it's somewhere. It's going to make a difference. And if you don't have the money but you have an hour time on a Saturday morning, go do it. And so when I first moved up here, I ended up uh, volunteering at the women's shelter for – Two and a half, almost three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that all I did was sit at the front desk and answer the phones. Mm-hmm. But it gave the advocates a break to be able to have meetings, to be able to catch up on work, right. and just be able to do their job. And all I was doing was answering the phones. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be something huge and big. It doesn't. Um, and I think one of the things for me is is here. I want people to find a way um, that they can actually use what they have to do something of any means. So when we think about what you said was I just answered the phone. What I challenge myself to do and what I want to challenge anybody listening to do is that you might know what an organization does. You might have an idea that it's the women's shelter or it's the animal shelter, whatever. Like I challenge myself to learn the mission of the organization. Mm-hmm. So if I'm sitting here, and I'm just answering the phone. It's like, no, what I am doing is I am providing X, Y, and Z to communities. and Right. So that that way. I can really honestly like put a magnitude to what it is that I'm actually doing this for because if we don't it begins to feel very task oriented mm-hmm. like man I gotta go down there again today and answer these phones and it's fun at first for many people and then it's like well you know I'm just doing it and if someone were to ask you like hey why do you support such and such or if you were trying to recruit another volunteer mm-hmm. it's really important to kind of be able to say like this is what we do for sure um, and this is my this is my contribution to pushing that mission forward, pushing it on so that, like you said, we don't know what type of relief an advocate might need. Um, and in some agencies, y'all, people call their social workers advocates. They might be called case managers. Mm-hmm. They might be just know that that is we'll just say staff or or another, you know, full time kind of volunteer person. Um, you'll find that because here when I was going to Seven Hills, I was like. Oh, it's fun. I'm just like picking out T-shirts and putting them in a bag and handing them to somebody. But what I really was doing was giving someone who needed clean 
clothes, clean mm-hmm. clothes in this moment. They were getting a shower in this moment. I don't know what they were physically, mentally, or spiritually able to wash off and change, right, um, in context. And so that's one thing that I will say for anybody who's listening as you volunteer, as we put some resources in the bottom, like just challenge yourself to say, do I know the mission of the organization? Um, because it kind of changes when you can speak the language that they're using so that you are like, oh, wait, we're talking about women and children who are survivors of domestic violence. Because mm-hmm. for a while, um, we used to use the word victims. And when you use the word victim, it's like, oh, no, I'm a survivor. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a fighter. Like, mm-hmm. I made it through this. Like, I am... I am making it through this. So that's what I will say. One of my challenges will be for our listeners this week. And then you join this little giving circle that we started. I did. Called 100 Women Northwest Arkansas. And it's still alive, but it's it's there. We can say life has been happening for both me and uh, Leah, our co-founder. Hey, Leah. Um, and so that's how I knew that you were like really like, you know what? I really love Northwest Arkansas. I love the work that's being done here, and I want to be a part of that. So I love that you, like, bring people in. So when you're bringing somebody into your space, when you're bringing someone into the missions that you care about, the causes that you're really passionate about, what do you find to be the easiest part of getting people to say yes to Jody <laughs> and coming to events and helping out? Because we're always going to have a good time. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is very, 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 very true. We're always going to have a good time no matter what it is, no matter, you know, if we're um, cleaning out closets and just taking loads of clothes up mm. the street to, to a shelter or if we're at the Moonlight Masquerade that Junior League puts on every February. That's a, a, a fun, fun gala. Fun. But I think really honing in on that and without being pushy, because I don't like pushy people, but <laughs> but really honing in on on the message and in the miss- mission of that particular organization. And um, I know that when people decide to do that little bit of volunteering, whatever it may be, they go away and they feel a little bit better about themselves and who knows it may even spark something for where they want to get involved a little bit more but yeah, we're always going to have a good time we're always going to end up helping somebody so we are i will day. say this i've never had a bad time with jody not one time <laughs> not one time um and it is nice to serve i think like when when we find people that you're like hey we can have a really good time but we can also use the space and the talents and the gifts that we have to, like, serve people and to do it together. It just makes it a little more special. And I do want to say, like, when you guys start to find that you're volunteering and you're getting more involved in the community, even though the issues that we're attacking, that they can be hard things. Mm-hmm. They can be tough sometimes, and especially mm-hmm. if you're new to that population, if you are learning about that it may feel a little overwhelming. So volunteering with people you know is a really great way to get started. Mm-hmm. It's a really great way for you uh, to just say, hey, you know what, there's no pressure. I may be emotionally, emotionally kind of heavy today, but I also know that when I look at these clothes that have been donated, and they're cute little onesies for babies, mm-hmm. you're like, oh my goodness, they are so cute. You're doing it with your friends, mm-hmm. and you're having fun, and you know that it's going to go to a family that needs it. Um, I share the story of this summer. My son and I would go to the animal shelter. <laughs> they are not my thing, y'all. It, they are just not my thing. And towards the end of the summer, 
I remember walking in and I remember being like, is Dot still here? And I'm like, who is this person? Am I asking for <laughs> this dog by name? Like, what happened to me? Um, and so in every situation, there's a moment for us to have another level of empathy. Um, it may not be something that we've personally experienced. It may not be something that we were very familiar with when we came into the space. But I believe if you're in the space and if you're where your feet are, you can't help but leave and have another level of empathy for mm -hmm. that situation. Um, so what's something that you will say has helped you serve with empathy as you serve through Junior League and all the many other things that you do? I think just seeing and hearing stories of people, and we'll use Junior League and, and their domestic violence as an example, because that that is one of those things that can be very um, uncomfortable for people mm -hmm. to, to hear, and especially if you hear a survivor's story. And last year at our at our gala, we actually had a Junior League member give her story. And she's a member of Junior League because she actually benefited from the services that are provided in the area that came from Junior League. And so oh, wow. um, she's she's not the, you know, there's always the quote unquote stereotypical small mm -hmm. petite woman that's supposed to be that those are the only women um, or only person that can be uh, a survivor of victim of domestic violence and she's I, th I think she's about six one and she's I mean she called her they her nickname was Rambo Barbie because she oh. was in the army I mean she's she's not a small petite person right. and the doctor actually said that her larger frame probably saved her life that night wow. um, and so hearing those stories and hearing the impact and seeing them go from that to where they are mm -hmm. today. Um, but I think being able to to really hear those stories, it just it makes you want to help more because they didn't ask to be in those situations. Right. They, it's, it's not something that they put themselves in uh, purposely. And so just hearing more of those stories and if it's, you know, a homeless shelter, not not all homeless people, you know, <laughs> want to be there. You know, there's right. there's people they want to get out and they don't want to be in that situation. And hearing their stories and figure out ways, okay, well, what's what's something else that that could possibly be done to to help this community? Um, because I think whenever you help others, one you would like to think if you ever got in that situation that somebody mm -hmm. would help you that same way. Yeah. And I think that if if you're helping others that's an indirect way of helping you um, on so many different levels, just from being in the community, the way that you feel. Um, but it's you're not just serving others when that happens. You're serving the community. Right. And you said stories so many times, right? Like people have stories, people have histories, people have lives that, like we said earlier, when you meet them at the chapter you meet them on, until you get to know them, you don't know anything about that person. And unfortunately, in the service, social impact, nonprofit space, so many um, populations have gotten these stereotypes about who they can be, um, how they got there. 
and why they are still there versus someone possibly saying, you know what, of the 30 women that could possibly be in shelter, how many of them have this be why they're here? How many of them have this be why they're here? Um, And then try and say, none of them, not one of those people would say, hey, I'm going to go sign up for this. Exactly. What I'm going to go do. Exactly. And so when we're talking about service, it's a matter of one, helping them navigate what comes next. Not Mm -hmm. just in the need to get a home, need to get a job, need to get a car, but in the mental space of what comes next. Um, My experience of answering phones for the YWCA, um, when you hear a crisis call, you're almost in shock because you're like, I've got to be prepared. I've Mm got to be empathetic. I've got to make sure this person is safe in this moment um, as we make a plan for what comes next. So I think there's a lot of times and a lot of situations where we as people on the outside looking in, if we do it from an empathetic lens, like we are like truly serving with with our hearts. Mm-hmm. And that does change us. Mm-hmm. If you're not just like, well, thank you for calling such and such. Okay, well, did you do this? Did you do that? Okay, well, it's like, no, like this is a whole person who we don't know what has led them to pick the phone up and call this number. And I want to treat this with care. Mm -hmm. I want to treat this as if I could be on the other end. If my mom, my aunt, my sisters could be on the other end of the phone. So I was happy that you used the word story so many times because that makes people human. Mm -hmm. When we don't assume anything, but we take a moment and say, I want to get to know you. You don't necessarily have to tell me, hey, this is what happened in middle school and high school and this is how I got here. But as I get to know you and we share... Like, we're sharing collectively across the board. So I think that, to me, was, like, just very, very comforting to hear you say, and especially when you deal with something as serious, as dangerous as domestic violence. Mm -hmm. Um, And so other than that, I will say I've just kind of watched you daily make the decision to show up for people. And it could be a quote, but you don't – oh, oh, y'all. She also has a text message thread. I forgot about that because I know (laughs) – my phone is really dry. In the <laughs> and I know that's Jody's text message. So we'll put down her um, text message for you guys to opt in as well as she sends us some inspiration daily. I don't think I've missed a daily text. Yeah, sometimes I, I have know. typos like I did the other day. Ty caught it and felt horrible about it. But no, don't. Thankfully, no, but I, th- I think everybody understood what I was trying to I say. Did, I think, and I was like, well, I think I read that right, but I, I just could possibly <laughs> not because... Um, I want to say like I hung out the night before, so I'm like I just don't know. I went to bed at twelve o'clock. I'm catching up on all kind of TV right now. <laughs> That's another subject, y'all. Um, but I also think in that it's a reminder Jody's human, mm-hmm. and Jody's trying. Yeah, and Jody's giving her best. And if any of us act like we don't use spell check and grammarly every day, we are wrong. Um, so that's what I will say. I will say I want you to know that like. Even the small things that you're doing, the encouragement that you're giving, um, helping people navigate what a mindset shift looks like, even Mm -hmm. when they don't know they're in the process of making one, or even when they know they need one, they just haven't done the work Mm -hmm. to do one. Um, So when you think about all the things that you've done, all the places you volunteered, watching your mom and dad um, share what they do have, have you ever considered yourself a philanthropist? 
My first instinct is to say no, because every time I think of a philanthropist, I think of some rich billionaire who's having these galas and everything. (laughs) However, the true definition of a a philanthropist, I I do fit. And Mm -hmm. it's it's again, it's one of those things where we have to make sure that we're we don't look at something that we perceive to be what it is like Mm -hmm. I you know, I perceived a philanthropist to be some rich billionaire. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily what it is. Right. It's everyday ordinary people Mm -hmm. might be broke as a joke and they're still giving back to people in one way or another. Um, I do want to say like with what you said about mindset and everything, yeah, I don't have all my stuff together. And a lot of times (laughs) those quotes come in perfect timing for me as well, but it's all about keeping that that positive mindset and just getting those daily reminders of of what your task is at hand and, and just being able to focus on something good. And I think giving back to people in whatever way you can is is definitely one of those one of those ways. But um, back to the, the philanthropist, it's um, I guess I now can really consider myself a th- philanthropist. I think so. That's almost as hard to say as Kilimanjaro. I know, right? Like, <laughs> that's just, I, don't, I can't be like, are you affiliate? Like, I can't. Right. I don't, cool, like, I, I don't, I don't have that option. Um, but I believe that for me, when I think about philanthropists, the same thing was coming to mind. Um, it was that I know people who do the work mm-hmm. every single day and they wouldn't use the word philanthropist to describe themselves because it has turned into the really, really few wealthy people that mm-hmm. you see get all these headlines because they wrote this check. And you're like, oh, well, I'm definitely not a philanthropist at this point. Um, but it's simply like having love of mankind, right? It's someone who shares their time, talent, and treasure to help others. And so that's literally what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yes, I am a philanthropist. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You're a philanthropist. You're a mindset coach. You're a motivational speaker. Oh, and you climbed Mount Kelly, girl. Mm-hmm. Look at and you. even wrote a book about it. And even wrote a book about it. So go ahead, tell us. What's the name of the book and where can everybody get it? Conquering Kilimanjaro. And it is on Amazon, both in paperback form and on Kindle. So both of those are out and you never know what might be coming up next in a different form mm-hmm. of that book. So oh. hopefully by the end of the year, we'll have a audio version of that bad boy. So so for those of you who don't want to read the book, you may be able to listen soon, um, but we'll definitely share that with you. So Jody, I think you're a philanthropist. I think you are awesome. I am so grateful to you for coming and joining me. Um, sharing a little bit about how you got started, that your parents were an inspiration to that, um, and that you've just continued it, and that you've continued it in a way that truly flows with who you've become um, as a coach. So, Coach Jody, thank you so much for joining me on the United Philanthropy Podcast. Uh, you can grab all of her information in the notes, anything that she is in on social. If you'll tell us your Twitter, your Instagram, all that good stuff. It is Coach Jody, and Jody is J-O-D-I, so it's Coach Jody underscore on both Twitter and, and Instagram, and then my name, Jody Greve, G-R-E-V-E, on LinkedIn. And then if you want to log into that, um, that daily qu- quote, if you text the word mindset to 38470, you'll get that quote every single morning. You don't have to respond. I don't send you any other kind of crazy stuff. All you get is a daily quote every single day. 
So every single day. Every day. Every day. Well, Jody, thanks again for joining me. And thank you guys for listening to the United Philanthropy Podcast. I'm your host, Ty Odom, where we unlock the magic of sharing our time, talent, and treasure. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Listening to my mom's podcast.